Welcome to the Investor Shed Podcast with Nick Beveridge, the ultimate source for all things investing and beyond. For free tools, tips, and tricks, go to NorthIdahoREI.com. Today's episode features Maya Murphy. Maya is a private money lender and a real estate investor. She dives into the investing mindset, her mentors, lease options, and much more. Stay tuned. Yeah. So if you don't mind, so uh, Maya Murphy, everybody. Um, I uh, I initially met you, I think, at a Spokane uh, meetup event. And um, this was maybe 2014, 15, somewhere in there. And I remember you gave me my first loan on my first rental. Sorry, it wasn't my first loan, but it was my first loan on a rental property. Mm-hmm. And you really helped me kickstart my rental portfolio. So I appreciate you very much for trusting me. And oh, okay. um, yeah, do, do you mind uh, letting everybody know who you are, how you got started in real estate and what um, just what, what got you interested in investing in general? Sure. Well, my name is Maya Murphy. Sounds like the author of a children's book, I think. It's a great name. And, thank you. I married <laughs> into it. Um, <laughs> and I was drawn to real estate. I um, did a little bit in the stocks as, um, in like col- when I was about college age, but I was never really interested in diving into it and learning it well. Um, so I had someone that did my investing for me. And I always knew that I wanted to learn real estate. I think part of it was... I wanted to be able to um, help my family if they needed it, and and uh, no, so the interest was just there, sort of organically. And then um, when I started, the first coaching I ever did, my mom bought one of those weekend packages with Rich Dad Poor Dad. If you've ever heard Ooh, of Robert I, Kiyosaki, I've bought into those packages before. They yes. are expensive. It was very expensive. Actually, <laughs> yes. I just paid it off a few years ago, but I got oh. into it when I was like 15 years ago or something like right. that. Right. Well, congratulations. <laughs> it took me a while to pay it off. <laughs> yeah, they're pricey. And I think yeah. the ROI is not good on them. Um, but it's where I started. Mm-hmm. And it's how I learned to go to AREA, R-E-I-A. And um, and then I did my first coaching through them. What I learned from that first coach, I think I paid $6,000 for this coach. And what I learned was a mindset shift where instead of saying, I can't buy a house because I don't have any money, I thought, how can I buy a house? So I started looking. So from that, I was living in Florida at the time. I bought my first property. It was a a duplex unit. When I saw it, the listing pop up, the lawn was way overgrown. And and I'd just been watching the market for about a year. And so the price was noticeably lower than the other stuff I'd been seeing. What, What part of Florida were you in? I, this house is in Navarre, Florida. So I was in the, the Panhandle, Fort Walton okay. Beach, Destin area. And about what time frame was this? 2008. 2008, okay. Yes. So, so the, it had passed the peak. It was starting to come down. Yeah. It was a foreclosure. Yep. And it popped up for 82000 So I went on my lunch break and um, got pre-qualified for a loan. Uh, I called my coach on the way there. Hey, what do I not say so I don't sound dumb? <laughs> and then, oh, nice. um, and then that that afternoon, right after work, I called my realtor. We went and looked at it. I put an offer in on it that night, and I didn't get it. Somebody else beat me to it. Okay. But then a few days later, they they fell through, and I got it. And and it just came from that little shift of saying, how can I do it instead of eliminating the possibility? So I started looking, and then it, it turned out. I qualified for this grant they had at a time um, that was up to $10,000. My income was like $200 below the max. It was uh, to, to help me qualify for this that paid oh. all of my down payment, all my closing costs, and some repairs that it needed to the exterior. So I got gotcha. into it for nothing down. Well, that's great. Um, so was this a state program, like a Florida state program, or was it a national thing at the time? Or do you remember the name? Um, no, I don't. That's okay. I don't remember the name of the program, but um, I think it was okay. a federal program that was going on at the time. I think it had to do with it being <clears throat> a rural area. It was a smaller town with 25,000 people or so. Oh, okay. So was it like a USDA foreclosure, maybe? Maybe. See, and I didn't... It was and too long ago. Don't I, worry Well, I, and I think, <laughs> like, it's kind of great that you're asking and, and you're showing my ignorance in it because, like... <laughs> Because this is why I say that for me, so much of it was just the mindset. I mean, I yeah. went to the banker and they said, oh, you qualify for this loan. And so uh-huh. you don't have to put any money into it. I'm like, well, that's good because I don't have much money right now. So nice. it just kind of um, 
it all just worked. And then um, there was a, a tax credit that year too where, that gave me $7,500 back on my tax return for being a first-time home buyer. They oh, did it I remember in 08 that. and 09. Yes. So yep. I got that. And it's like, I didn't know that existed when I bought it, but just yeah. by shifting into a place where I was looking and I was open to the possibility, these things just started. I mean, the good Lord is good when we... Yeah. <laughs> I remember I bought my first house like just a month or two before that program was announced. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I <Nice>. missed it. <laughs> so that paid off but, my yeah. coaching. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> but, so, okay. So what, what it sounds like, so it was probably just a USDA loan, right? Does that sound right? Like, so. was it, the property it, not in serious disrepair? No, it, it was fine. Okay, um, they so it's probably a USDA some... loan because if it's in a rural area, that sounds right. If you don't make yeah, more than a certain amount annual your household income, then you qualify for a nothing down USDA loan. So that's mm-hmm. so that's what it sounds like it might be. But that sounds right. That yeah. sounds familiar. Okay. And then that ten grand went as a second at zero percent interest until we either sold the house or paid yeah. it off. But I know normally, so those loans, they have to be like an owner-occupied loan or at least intend to be. So did you move into it? I did. Okay. I did. So I I bought it to move into and then had a roommate that paid half. And I was um, in my early 20s at the time and single. So it was, was, what, 12 years ago? Nice. So, So that was my first one. And then I didn't buy anything for a few years. We moved up here. And then in 2012, um, that's when I went into it a little deeper and started okay. doing it. Um, so when I came up here, I went into it full time. I'd been working full time down in Florida and then got married and moved up here. And so my husband and I, uh, Dave, we made that decision that let's just live off of one income and yeah. see if we can make something of um, a real estate business, gotcha. an investing business. So that was how we started here. And in 2012, real estate was on sale. Man, yes, was it a was. Lot of <laughs> <laughs> so if we don't, um, can we back up for a little bit? Um, sure. Do, so what, what kind of work were you doing? I was a financial analyst. So I worked for a defense contractor. Oh. And um, I was, it was technically called a cost account manager. So if you've heard of the F-35, the no. jet strike fighter, uh-uh. um, it's a, a new fighter jet. that They've actually just started rolling them off the line not too long ago. And I was the little bean counter for a some testing and training equipment on that project and, nice. and a couple other okay. defense contracting projects. And did I, you enjoy what you did? I did. Okay. I liked it a lot. Um, it was it was just what I wanted to do. So when I finished school, I moved to Florida and started doing that. And the what I learned from it segued really well into real estate, just thinking as an analyst. So it wasn't accounting. It wasn't make your pennies match to zero and follow all the rules. It was it was analyzing what's what's going on in the program. So here's what we spent, and here's what we planned on spending. And then we did something called um, earned value management that added this element of, well, what did we get for our money? So what actually got done? Yeah. And it, we, a lot of times it was a percentage of completion, but but it, it got fun for me a year or two into the job when I could look at the charts and the information, and it would tell a story. So I could see what was actually happening. Um, and it, it taught me that analysis side of it that, that played in really well to what I do now. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that <laughs> makes total sense why you, what, you're, what you're doing now. So now you mostly do loans, right? I do. Or do you, but you still do creative real estate investing where you do a lot of lease, op- lease options, right? Or at least you did when I met you. Uh, my heart is definitely more in lease options than in lending. Um, so in 2012, in... May, I met John Burley. I was right at the point where I'd been working for three or four months and hadn't bought anything. I was doing, I didn't, I was doing a lot of activity and I think it's like this anytime we're new at something, but you don't quite know how to do the right activity or how to do it in a very effective way. So I was going to business associations and, and RIAs and meeting with realtors and trying to to get some progress and and I was starting to get kind of frustrated and then I met John Burley who's been um, definitely one of the most influential mentors that I've had. He taught about how to raise private money okay. and he hit, one of his big pushes is um, you have to have the money first and then you go buy the properties. He says people tell you that if you have the property that the money will show up and and he doesn't believe that. So he taught us how to bring on um, financial partners that paid a $10,000 upfront fee because he said if you any viable business capitalizes their business first and you have to have money to keep food on the table to pay for your expenses 
that's what that does. And so he said, you won't have your investors balk at a $10,000 upfront fee because they're already used to paying fees and they know that viable businesses have to be capitalized. And, and we didn't. We didn't have them balk at it at all. So I went from three or four months of working but not really, uh, not really having concrete like milestones from it. We didn't buy a house. We didn't bring in an investor. And then in May, we met John Burley. So I'm like the dreamer, the visionary. Yeah. My husband is the bricklayer. He's like slow and steady. He's um, methodical. He's very detailed. And he is such a good balance for me. I'm very fortunate to have him mm-hmm. as my partner. Um, uh, so he he's talked to me. He basically was that voice of reason that, that got me to listen to all the training that we bought from John Burley. We, we bought uh, something called uh, The Secrets of Raising Private Money. And for a month, I did that work that isn't gratifying, where I just locked myself in my office and listened to CDs and took notes on it and learned how to do it. Yeah. And within 60 days of that, we had brought on two investors. I had $20,000 in the bank, and we'd bought three properties. And so it... I would say out of all the mentors I've had, and I know I shared this when I talked about lease options, my best ROI undoubtedly has been with John Burley. Mm-hmm. Um, I love working with him too because he looks at it holistically and to me, success is that way. To me, if I buy a bunch of houses and then I have a net worth of $5 million, but my family falls apart and my health is down the tubes, you know what I mean? If it's not balanced, um, to me, it's not worth anything. And and John Burley's a man of faith, and he has a great relationship with his kids, and he's also done phenomenally well in yeah. real estate investing. He's done over, well over fourteen hundred uh, properties, and um, so I don't know where I was going with that. But no, um, it's okay. So is John Burley? So is he local to the um, like the Spokane area? Or, like, he's I don't in think I've actually Arizona. Arizona. Okay. So he came I don't up know, here. I haven't really heard of him. Oh, that's okay. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if you're looking into lease options, he is he is the king of lease options. He's, okay. Um, he's got a best-selling book, and he's just done lots of them. He has the longest-standing coaching program in the nation, I think. He's been doing coaching on it since the 90s. And so he has a lot of students who have done hundreds or thousands okay. of deals. Um, but he, he has a program that's very clear and simple. So takes the guesswork out of it and people do really well with it and and it and it, it jump-started things for us so okay. do you um, mind walking so there, there's going to be there's people listening and watching that have no idea what we're talking about when we, we we say like lease options do you mind walking us through a deal that maybe you've done and just like what that lease option looks like for yourself and then the uh, tenant buyer sure i love the lease any. option model yeah um a lease option is like a rental on steroids. And what I mean is, so it's a lease just like a rental and then with an option to buy. So and this it, is usually a single family house, right? Right. Um, it would have to be something that could be sold off. So maybe a condo conversion would work, but I've only done it with single family houses. Okay. And I think single family houses in the world of real estate are the safest investment you can do. I agree. Um, because there's such a huge pool of buyers. They're just simple. Mm-hmm. So, Demand is always very high. Yes, <laughs> yeah. you can sell it in any market. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you buy a house and then find someone who wants to own the home, who leases it from you. What makes it unique to, from a rental is that they also get the option to buy it. They get exclusive rights to buy the house. And with that, so, so I am selling them my right to sell the house to anybody but them. And mm-hmm. it provides stability for people. Um, and in exchange for that, they pay for that option to buy. But the other piece that we do is we we do something called waiving our landlord-tenant duties, which means if the toilet breaks, they don't call me. But if they want to paint their kids' room a special color later, they can. Yeah. Um, so it uh, it's such a profitable model, and it's also one that I believe in. Um, it's profitable because on a rental, you figure whatever income you're bringing in, about 10% of that is going to be going towards maintenance and maybe you don't have a maintenance bill right maybe Mm -hmm. you don't have a maintenance bill for a year or two and then you have to replace the hvac or something more expensive but 10 percent is about what you get so just by just by moving that maintenance cost over to them i've just bumped my profit margin by 10 percent like that's a 
that's a good return by itself. And that's just the increase. Yeah. Um, for, I believe in it too, for what it does for people. Um, so there's a gentleman named Jim Frank, who's a developer in Spokane. Have you ever heard of him? I haven't heard of Jim Frank. No. Okay. You've heard of Kendall Yards? I have. You've heard of Liberty Lake? Yep. So he developed both of those and a lot of other places. And okay. he's been developing as long as I've been alive. So he's been developing t- since 1984. Gotcha. And I had the... the... I, know, I know North Idaho very well. But okay. the Spokane area, I, just, I know, I know some, some people, investors, I know how to drive to the airport. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, so, um, why was I going to, I was going to quote Jim Frank, I think, but, oh, Jim okay. Frank told me, um, for most people, whether they realize it or not, the best financial decision they make in their life is owning their own home. Yeah. And so I really believe in it for people and to be able to, um, help a person or a family to not have to move anymore so that they can keep their kids in the same school. The, the stability that that brings to people is very gratifying. So to have a business model that's very profitable and yeah. that I can also believe in. Yeah, and it's not something that you have to believe in either. Like people, there are stats out there. Homeowners most always have a higher net worth than mm-hmm. renters on, mm-hmm. on average. And it's it's a huge difference. Like the average, and I, I'm I'm going to be off just slightly here, but I think the average tenant um, has a net worth of about five thousand dollars, and the average homeowner has a net worth of like forty eight thousand or something like that. It's like it's like mm-hmm. a huge difference. Um, and just if somebody bought a house this year, they're projecting that that person's net worth in the next five years is going to go up another forty three thousand. So there's there's all these great yeah. stats that yeah. prove owning a single family house just just owning it mm-hmm. is going to um, just put you in a better financial situation overall, um, for the most part. And this is for the most part. Don't sure. don't go buy a huge house that's going to sink you. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. got to live within your means. Still, yeah, live within your means. But, still. Um, but anyway, so um, we kind of cut off in the middle there. We're, we're explaining lease options. So so do you have two contracts? Do you have one that's the lease and then one that's like an exclusive option to buy the house at a certain price within a certain timeline? How do you set yours up? That's exactly it. And two, two, completely, separate <clears throat> op- two completely separate contracts because if you combine the two, um, you can create – I'm not an attorney, but you can create um, where they kind of start to have an ownership right. So it's, no, this is just a lease, just like any other lease. It's the same one we use on any rental and then they also have this option to buy. And Which gives them a little bit of equitable interest in the home. Well, right? that's the point is that you don't yeah. want to, it's not technically creating equitable interest. Um, it's the way we set it up was it's it's non-refundable if they decide to move out. So you're paying for the option to buy. Yeah. And if you don't choose to buy, that's fine. It's an option. That's your choice. But if you do buy it, then we'll give that back to you as a down payment. That's the way we've done it. So it, it doesn't, since it's non-refundable and since it's separate from the lease, they're not creating ownership interest, which is a big deal if someone stops paying and then you have to evict them and now they're partially an owner and now you can't. So yeah. it's important to do it. And if I remember right, you had a pretty smart way to collect that option money or the a certain amount. It's like three and a half percent, right? So that that way, if somebody were to get an FHA loan, they already have their down payment taken care of. Right. Is that right? Yes, good memory. And we've done it before where it depends on what the market will bear. Like right now, well, the last time that I that I set one up, which hasn't been very recently. But um, right now, what we were seeing most recently was that people could do bigger down payments or if it's around tax season, a lot of times people can do bigger down payments. But um, Starting out, <clears throat> excuse me, in 2012, we were doing 1,900 down, mm. and and then they would pay towards their option as they stayed in it. So maybe next okay. year around tax season, they put another chunk down. Gotcha. So you can be a little creative and mm-hmm. and have a little like rank credits that go towards a down payment. Right. Well, the way we would do it is once they paid three and a half percent. So if they did it on day one, then day one you get rent credits. If they did it year two or year three, then once they've paid three and a half percent, then they they get a rent credit that kicks in. Yeah. Now, I know a lot of investors do this a little bit differently now. Okay, so you got your lease option, which is a completely separate contract from your lease. And then you have just your general lease rental agreement with your tenants. Now, does that any portion of the rent amount that they're paying, does any of that go towards um, paying off the house or the down payment or anything like that? Do Do you have any rent credits established? 
That's, um, and that's, I think, what we were just talking about, that the way we had it set up was once they had put 3.5% down. Oh, okay, so um, you did that in general for then most. Then okay. they would get $50 or $100, depending on yeah. the price of the house that would go towards there. I was just curious, yeah. if they already put their full 3.5%, if, if any other rents that they pay go towards the purchase of their house? I'm not sure I'm understanding the question. The idea being, if, like, let's say they're paying $9.95 a month for it. Yeah. So then we credit, say, 100 of that towards mm -hmm. their, their option to buy or towards their down payment, towards their purchase. Yeah. So once that. that's fulfilled, I'm just curious if – I get a lot of people asking me, um, okay, so are there any other portions of the rent itself that just go towards paying down the house? No. No. Okay. No. I thought so. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to see if you did it a different way. That's how we've done it. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. That's that's fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, what that's got you me. interested um, in actually, well, uh, okay, you met John Burley. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell me about your first loan and what that looked like? When we got into lending? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. When, you, um, when you made your first loan to a real estate investor? Sure. So we did lease options from 2012 until 2000, um, probably 15, 14 or 15. Um, and then I started having babies and, and throttled way back, um, which is <laughs> yeah. such a gift of being self-employed. So right now I work um, six hours a week. I've dedicated office time. I have uh, someone who comes over and watches the kids for me a couple days a week, a couple yeah. afternoons a week. Thank you for um, being here, by the way, oh. <laughs> using up some of that time. <laughs> Thanks for <laughs> inviting it. me. Um, um, and it's just such a privilege to be able to be to be to have that kind of freedom to yeah. do what I want to do. And so, and but the other thing that amazes me about real estate is the velocity of it. So, when I did start to slow down and shift gears towards that that focus of more my family i started reflecting on what i what had been built over the last 3 years and i basically retired after 3 years which is just mind blowing that doesn't happen in in the normal world but i had replaced the income that i'd been making as a financial analyst wow. with passive income in real estate in 3 years and it, it still just blows, still my, blows mind my mind to see how quickly it happened. Um, so for me, I worked full time for about two and a half to three years. And we bought 14 houses. And so we had some of those were with partners. Some of those we got on our own. Um, and for those first few years, we did just take everything and reinvest it, um, pretty much everything, and just reinvest it to try and build that momentum. Um, yeah. <clears throat> But it was really neat to, to see how short of an amount of time it took to be able to just really enjoy the fruits of the labor. Yeah. And when, and when I was in that season where I was starting to throttle back and want to be with my kids more, that was when I started, um, that's when I found out about private lending and learned that business model. It's like the real estate model, but it's like taking just one little piece of it and only doing that one piece. So it's a very simple business model in the sense that I already knew how to analyze deals from having bought them and done my own investing. And for the lending, I'm basically just taking that analysis and then deciding if someone else's deal fits that criteria. Uh, and if it does, I lend on it. And with gotcha. the lending, <laughs> you're making money off of a piece of paper. So there's no roof. There's no toilet. It, um, it's, it's very simple. Um, for me, I was at a point where I was wanting more time. Mm -hmm. So to be able to look at someone else's deal, run the numbers on it, I had I have certain criteria that I follow, like the biggest pieces being that I'm not going to lend more than 65% of the value of the property. And I want to make sure that my borrower has a little bit of experience, has some decent credit, has some skin in the game. Um, as far as the properties, I, want, um, I don't... I. We don't typically lend on something more than four units, so we're keeping to that residential, and that's what I've done before in real estate, so it's what I know. Yeah. And like we talked about, it's the safest yeah. real estate investment. It's easiest to move. But once it fits that criteria, then we lend out the money, and it starts producing an income on day one. So I take this IOU, and I stick it in a file, and then the money starts coming in, and someone else is 
renovating that house and someone else is marketing for tenants and someone else is managing those tenants and I'm only doing this one little piece of that model. So for me, shifting to wanting to be a mom full-time and wanting to do this part-time, that, that's, that was a good fit for me. That's what motivated me to do that shift. And right. we, had, we had a little bit of our own capital from having done the investing and then we also brought in other folks that lend with us. So it's, it's a model that works without having to have your own capital, just like we talked about earlier with raising private money and, and investing in real estate. You can do it with your own capital, or there's lots of ways to do it with other people's capital. Yeah. The same is true for lending. Yeah, and specifically commercial lending, right? <laughs> You're not lending to people that are moving into the house. Otherwise. For, for business purposes only, yes. Yeah. Um, I think of commercial as commercial real estate. So yes, so yeah. for business loans only, non-owner occupied. Yes, yeah. that's it's right. a lot that's easier to get away important. with being a lender. Like anybody can be a lender if you're lending to a flipper LLC. Right. right. Yeah. Right. We but don't fall if under. If that person was going to move into it, there's like Dodd Frank Act stuff mm -hmm. that you have to comply with. You have to be a pretty much a banker credit right. union to pull that off. <laughs> right. um, but do you mind going in? <clears throat> you, I mean, you made it sound pretty simple. It's just it's just a piece of paper. It's a formula. You lend on it, and it's done. Mm -hmm. Do you mind for those that are actually interested in doing something like this? Sure. Could you go into the technicalities? How complicated or simple does it have to be when you're dealing with... Uh, okay, so let's say somebody brought you a property. You mm -hmm. like it. You like the location. You like the person. Mm -hmm. You like the amount of skin that they're bringing. Uh, skin as in money that they're bringing to the table or cross-collateral or something. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and you're saying, okay, I'm ready to make this loan. It's a $100,000 property. I've got my $65,000 ready to lend. Mm -hmm. What happens next? Do you work with a title company? Do you work with an attorney? Do you work with both? Do you, do you escrow it yourself? Oh, um, um, and for those that have, no, you know, they wouldn't know what to do after that point. Do you have a contract that you write up directly with that person? Can you go into some of these details? I think that's where um, a power team is important. Um, so I have <laughs> the attorney who drafts the promissory note and the deed. And then we have the closing agent who would... Um, when the, the investor is buying the property, who's going to have us on there as the lien holder and who's going to make sure that the insurance gets prepaid and the taxes get prepaid. And then, and then like you were saying, the, the escrow company who collects the payments from the borrower and then disperses that to us on a monthly basis. So those are the big pieces that would be yeah. put together for it. So do you have to... Would somebody really have to like meet with an attorney and would it get expensive to do something like this in advance or, or is it something that the borrower usually it, it's all wrapped up into their fees? Is it is it complicated to set up being a lender? No, no, I don't think so. Um, we set up an LLC so that it's not our individual name that's on the lien. Uh -huh. um, but the what would you, the liability in lending is definitely less than the liability when you're in property management or investing um, because most of that is is falls under the work of the investor themselves that it's not on us we're not even the owner of it we're just a lien holder so we make sure that 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 lien is there against the property we make sure that we're in first position uh, we do and a lot of lenders will only do first position. And what that means is, um, so like the, the example that you were using, the property's worth $100,000. We're lending $65,000. We're going to make sure that there's not something already against the property that's owed, like no, taxes loan. Or, or another loan yeah, or a contractor who didn't get paid. Mechanical. And now, yeah. yeah, so has put a lien against it. So we want to make sure that we're in first position. We will do second position liens as well, but um, we, we say we'll only do carefully evaluated second liens, yeah. so it still has to be within that 65% loan to value. And and there's, there's a few other criteria that we would look at. Mainly it's that we want to make sure that we're going to keep reserves on hand so that if the first doesn't get paid, that we can take care of that so that we then also get still get paid. Yeah. There's, there's a few more technicalities, um, but that I don't do seconds very often. Um, and one of our criteria as well is that 
the majority of our loans are going to be first position loans right. um, because there's different risk factors for seconds. So if I have one occasionally, it's okay, but I want most of mine to be just peanut butter, first position, <laughs> 65% on a single yeah. family house, those types. So for those of you that are confused out there, like what... Is, are they talking about first position, second position? I don't get it. Is this a sex act? What's going on? <laughs> no. Okay. So just to try to simplify it, if by chance your borrower, the person who got the loan from you, stopped making their payments, they just gave up, something bad happened, that maybe they got hospitalized, mm-hmm. um, but all of a sudden the um, they weren't making the payments and you had to take legal action to take the property back because that was collateralizing your loan. Mm-hmm. So if you had to take the property back, um, you would be the first person to get paid, right? Or get the, or get the property back. You you'd be sure. the first person uh, lender, um, unless unless the taxes weren't paid, they'd be the first. Mm-hmm. Um, but you wouldn't want to be the second person on the loan, right? Because so yeah. when <laughs> when there when there's when there's something owed against a property, there has to be a way to to decide who gets paid back first. Mm-hmm. And whoever's in first position, whoever's the first lien, is going to be who gets paid back first. And then the second position, if there is one, and then the third position, if there is one. Yeah. So, because you can get multiple liens on a property if mm-hmm. you have enough equity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you can. I have a, a like. Let's say I have a rental property that's worth four hundred fifty thousand. I owe two ninety on it. I can use that, even though it's not paid off. I can still use it with another lender, and they can put a second lien on it as a little more collateral, but they're not, you know, if something happens, they're in a second position. They're still the first lien holder there that um, 290 is owed to them. But we're probably, I'm probably going into it too much. For those, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just be positions on title. If you're lending, be number one on uh-huh. if you're as the primary lender. <laughs> But I'm glad you used that example, Nick, because I think we did this with your loan uh, or maybe looked at it at some point um, with maybe another loan about that's a that's one place where I don't mind going second position is uh, we were talking earlier about how one of the criteria for me is that the person has some skin in the game. So I want to know that they're invested in this, too, Mm -hmm. and I want to know that they've got some money in it that way if they go in to start renovating and they open up a wall and there's some huge mess. They've got a reason to stick around and see it through. I'm yeah. not the only one who's got money in this. So with that, one of the things that we will use as skin in the game instead of somebody just bringing cash to the table is if you have another property and you have some equity in it, mm-hmm. I don't mind as your skin in the game going into second position on your other property as long as I'm under my 65%. Right. And that property and then, has enough, enough equity right, <laughs> to make long, it worth it. As long mm-hmm. as it has enough equity. Um and then I'm in first position on the loan that I'm that I'm making on it, so yeah. that's a good place that where the second will come into play for us with our criteria. Yeah, and I've used it many times on flips. I mean, that, that's one of the the wonderful things that's creative about real estate. I can go if I find the right deal, even if even if I don't have fifty thousand dollars in the bank, but I've got some rentals with, and they all have loans on them, but they all have a hundred grand or more of equity. Mm-hmm. I can still use those as leverage to a private money lender that, okay, your skin of the game is we're going to put a $50,000 or $100,000 second lien against your rental here, but don't worry about it. We, we'll cover you. you. You're getting a great deal. We'll fund your, we'll fund the whole project, you know, the mm-hmm. acquisition and the rehab. So I've done that a lot and nice. it's great. Real estate can be pretty awesome when you kind of know how to navigate your, um, equity that you have in other properties. <laughs> it gets fun too, yeah. doesn't it? Grown-up monopoly. Yeah, it's grown-up <laughs> monopoly. <laughs> I like too how um, as things get moving, how there's more and more places that it gets more creative and it gets more interesting, like what you're talking about, where, where once you have a few deals in, in place and you've got some equity here and there, then you can start like moving things around and and playing them off of each other. And I think a simple way to do it, like what you're talking about, tapping into equity that already exists is with a home equity line of credit. I think that's an easy way to do it. Um, If somebody's just looking to borrow some equity from themselves, that's sure better than using our money because ours is expensive. (laughs) If you can get it from a bank for cheap, go for it, man. That makes sense. But, But when a bank won't do it or a bank's not fast enough or 
a bank won't do that one because it's needs more repair than what they're willing to lend on then that's when we come in or when there's a flipper who's doing two houses a month they can't get a loan from a bank for those because it'll get their credit pulled twice a month and then their credit will be terrible banks just aren't set up for that kind of a model so that's where that's where we come into play those types of situations yeah it's a delicate juggling act of what should I do? Pay more taxes and show more <laughs> more income to the banks to qualify for better loans or just mm-hmm. <laughs> capitalize on all my re- <laughs> write-offs? And right. Yeah, it's a, it, there's a lot of different ways that you can tap into your money and it's going to be it's going to be expensive one way or another. Either you're going to pay a lot of taxes or you're going to pay a lot of interest. That's a good point. That's a good point. So just find good deals. You know, one piece, Nick, if I may. um, Yeah. When it comes to mindset, so John Burley says that real estate's 80% psychology and 15% money management, and then 5% the tips, tricks, and strategies, which I think is where we tend to spend most of our time because they're interesting. Yeah. But if we don't have the right psychology, we won't put them into practice. And if we don't have the right money management, we can be making a lot of money and not keeping it. Um, So on the side of the psychology, I wanted to share an experience that we had um, early on. We um, had a lot of things go wrong in a short amount of time. So we had uh, a resident move out through no fault of her own. She kind of got the rug pulled out from under her. But now we had this vacant house. And then we had another person that... Um, had to had to move, but through fault of her own, and left us with a just huge, huge mess. And then in the same month, we had a contractor walk away with the deposit that we'd given them for doing the work on the house and did no work. Um, and and I say it not because um, I want to be discouraging, because John Burley says what to us is just like the sky is falling. This is a horrible situation. He says, we call that Tuesday morning. And he <laughs> says, the reason we call it Tuesday morning and not Monday morning is because Monday I'm calling investors and making offers on houses. And then Tuesday I deal with, you know, I got to evict these fires. people and putting out fires. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I think with that, like we build tenacity and Um, Sam Walton, when he was asked the secret to his success, he said, dogged persistence. And that was it, just keeping on going. Um, And and so the reason I wanted to share this story is because I can remember when we were in the middle of it, having a few nights in a row where my husband and I are looking at each other like, why do we do this stuff? Like, let's just, I don't want to be doing this. This is miserable. And after about three nights of that, the, the shift that happened in my mind was, if I'm going to quit doing this, I'm going to quit when I'm on top. Because then I know that if I'm quitting, I'm doing it for the right reasons. I don't, I, and so I just said, I want to be the, the guy who buys houses from burned out landlords, not the person who liquidates all my properties when I'm at the bottom and I'm burnt out and gives them yeah. away for a fra- for pennies on the dollar. Right. Um, and so what came from that is, for me, that was that has been a very important part of this journey for me and just keeping me going was just that mindset of, if I'm going to quit, it's going to be when I'm on top. So we got through that, and we worked our tails off all summer. <laughs> and, and and it worked out, and we got, we got the houses filled. We got them cleaned up. We wrote off the three grand on our taxes that the contractor walked away with. You know, it all worked out. It was fine. We got our option payments. We got the rental income coming back in. But it took probably, that was in July, and it took me about six months before I liked doing the work again. I just remember the littlest thing would happen. And I got so burned out from that situation that when something little would go wrong, I would just feel like, ugh. See, this is horrible. (laughs) And then after about six months, I got to where I liked it again. And now I love what I do. I feel very blessed to be able to to do this kind of work and to be my own boss. And um, and, and so um, I wanted to share that because I know that that's going to be an important lesson for a lot of people, just learning to keep pushing through when it's hard and if you're going to quit, to quit for the right reasons when things are going smooth. Um, yeah. If I were to quit now, it would be because something else has become a higher priority in my life for my time and my resources. And I think that's the right reason. Um, yeah. The, the other piece as far as money management, um, one of the, 
the um, pieces of advice that John Burley gives is he calls it the 10 10 10 rule. So he says, any money that you make, um, take 10% of it and give it to God, so donate it. Take 10% and put it away for reinvesting. Mm-hmm. And then take 10% and put it towards debt relief. So it could be credit cards or it could be paying off a mortgage or whatever the case may be. But he said the 10 10 10. And he said, once you've done that, the rest of the money, spend it. You can do anything you want. It doesn't matter. Because if you're doing that, yeah. you will always be fine. Right. Um, and so we, we, we do that. We implemented that. Um, and, and it comes back to you can be making tons of money, but if, you're not, if you don't have a simple discipline like that, it's not complicated. It's just, it just takes the self-discipline to sit down and do the kind of work that my husband does that I don't like to do, <laughs> you know, but just make myself sit down and, and put in whatever automatic system I have to have so that I do that habitually. Um, and, then, and then you don't have to worry about it and don't have to think about it. And, and it will grow. It will progress. Yeah. No, I think that's great. That, that's really close to the Robert Kiyosaki's, you know, his is um, slightly different, but, you know, it's to give away, have a piggy bank for giving away, have a piggy mm-hmm. bank for savings, and one for investing. Mm-hmm. Um, not one for debt relief, but... So uh, savings, same thing, I think. Saving, yeah. debt relief, yeah, you're always going to have debt. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Not always. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's a great tool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so you've, you've been sticking to that 10% rule? Mm-hmm. For how, how long you've been doing that? Years. Yeah. Yeah. Ever since he said it, I think I heard him say that in 2013, maybe 14. That's awesome. And I've been doing it ever since. And um, yeah. And it's really amazing to see the buckets grow. Um, f- for me, um, I love to give, and I probably shouldn't say this because God says if don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, <laughs> and if you say it, then you, you've already gotten your reward. But um, it. Um, but maybe with the heart of um, helping others be inspired with just how much value your life can have, that there's something really amazing about being able to give and see people's lives changed and, and mm-hmm. be a part of something bigger than yourself. Um, and so to, to have a loan cash out or to have a house sell and then to have a portion of that go back to doing something really meaningful for the world that goes beyond ourselves, yeah. um, I think is so much more, it's so much deeper than having a faster car or yeah. the other things that we can do with it that can be fun too, mm-hmm. but um, they're not as lasting. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Every time I donate money, it just, it just feels right. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it doesn't know? I mean, it feels good too, but mm-hmm. it definitely feels right and it feels satisfying. Yes. Do you feel like? Do you feel like ah? That now I felt like I completed something. I do. Like I, I just do. had a kid. I do. Like I've just made an investment, like yeah. into something that will pay bigger dividends than yeah. anything else I could invest in because it, like, it's bigger. Yeah. You did your part for that yes. day. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and and I think we're we're starting to toe into this, Nick. So if I may. Um, a few years ago, I made God the CEO of my company, and uh-huh. um, and there's something about putting God first that I think it has a very tangible benefit. Um, and like part of that for me is there's been a few times in my investing career where greed has started to really take a hold. Um, and what I have noticed in those times um, is that I wouldn't be making as much money, and I would be taking risks that didn't make as much sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because underneath there was just this drive that had changed. And um, and so the reason I say that there's a very tangible benefit to putting God first and making him, putting him in charge of it is that for me, that shift underneath it is what has pulled me back out of those places. And when I'm not in a place of greed, when I'm doing things for the right reason, I make so much more money because I'm being yeah. a good steward, I think. And so I'm, I'm being trustworthy with that. Um, and that, that for me has been a tremendous help. If I can be a good steward of what I have, then I can be trusted with more. Yeah, I, that, could, I couldn't agree more. I, I don't know how it happens, but every time I feel, every time I give money, it seems like I get way more back in return. I agree. I, I agree. <laughs> Some mess that I'm like, how am I going to fix this? All of a sudden it's resolved. And yeah. <laughs> there's a check Plant in one the cherry tree and you get thousands of cherries. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So. 
that's just the way the world works though it seems mm-hmm. like it's it's just a law the more you give the more you receive i agree and that's oh. just the way it's, it's been for a long time just, <laughs> you got to feel it to realize it i guess or just mm-hmm. you experience it to know it's a it's a fact <laughs> And Can't that's be, why you drive a Tesla. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've given enough to be able to well, <laughs> receive. Maybe that's some but I, I just wanted one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I made it work. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it paid for itself. <laughs> that's what I tell myself. <laughs> so I had someone smarter than me once tell me. I said, okay, if I just quote people that know more than I do, because <laughs> this is kind of what shaped me into who I, where, where I've gotten. Um, I had someone once tell me that um, every time that he can be, he'll be the dumbest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so great just to surround yourself. Oh, gosh, by... she used to see me around the office. I'm the only one on my team that never went to college. Really? Nobody else has a degree. Good on you. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm not bragging about it, but... I am the dumbest person in this office. I'm sure of it. <laughs> but, but, but I think I know how to work the business. <laughs> yeah, I think there's two things with that. The one of them is um, just having that growth mindset that you can learn that, like, okay, I didn't come here knowing everything, but just like when you started asking me about my first house and there's all these questions that, like, yeah, I should know the details of that. And I didn't at the time. I really yeah. just didn't. I was not that savvy. I was, well, you're not taught that in, you know, high school or college. They don't run you through a financial education course of how loans and housing works, do they? Right. I and I was still do. early in <laughs> my coaching and, and my real estate um, education. But, um, oh, but but the, how it's amazing how we can grow. It's so... If I think I'm dumb, I can learn my way out of that. And mm-hmm. um, there's something very gratifying about realizing that. And I think with that realization comes with it being okay to be around people that are smarter than me because it doesn't make me dumb. It makes me smarter that I'm yeah. around them. Um, yeah. And the other piece of You it, end up becoming the five people you spend the most time with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I think the other piece of it is just the value of hard work that that doesn't matter how you cut it. There, that's a piece of this. Um, so have you heard of Greg Pinio? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so. I think. I, I've been to one of his uh, seminars. It was great. Nice. It was fantastic. He's, have you? Yes. Um, yeah. I've, I've done some work with him, or he has coached us with some things. Um, so something he said was, um, you need to learn to love what most people will not tolerate. And I'll <laughs> say it again because... I, I kind of have to hear things twice sometimes. You have to learn to love what most people will not tolerate. I remember our, our very first house that we were trying to renovate and clean up, and I was out there in torn up jeans, like trying to get the yard cleaned up myself. And I was just like, I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be doing it. And, and I was just like raking leaves or whatever I was doing. And yeah. I just kept saying, I love this stuff. I love this stuff. <laughs> and it didn't at all. But, but he said, you learn to love what most people will not tolerate. And there's something about it. There's something about it just makes us different when we're when we don't hate the hard work. Right. When we learn to be OK with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think when you're in the moment and somebody's like, for instance, working on their own rehab that they're it's a future investment. I mean, you just got to you just got to always have it in the back of your mind that you're either doing something enjoyable you can make it enjoyable or not, but you're doing something that's going to better your life always or you're or you're just not. You're either growing or dying. Huh. Like and um if you're sitting it. at home, you know, playing video games, it might be fun in the moment, but but you know in the back of your mind, it's it's not good for you long term right. <laughs> if you keep doing this. But I mean, if you're you're improving a property that's going to be a rental someday, mm. I mean, just just be real with yourself. Know that this is a great thing you're doing. It's going to set you up for long term success. You only need eight single family houses to be a millionaire someday if you hold on to them. They, they yeah. done the math on that. So huh, I mean, that's so cool. Just it's it's pretty easy for me to get excited about raking leaves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or but I have other people do it at this point. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. But. But it's still okay. It's not because I'm above it. it. Not at all. I, I no. value uh, providing no, jobs for people too. And, and right then it has to do with the highest and best value, highest and best use of our time. Yeah. And we get to a point where the exactly. highest and best use of our time might be something different. I would actually love it someday. If, but right now I'm very satisfied with what I'm doing. You know, I help run the real estate team and um, 
and I'm, I'm more overseeing the uh, investments and stuff. But I would love to just work on an, a flip someday or, or mm-hmm. a rent, do the Burr strategy and just be a one-man show mm. when I'm 60 years old. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, I would find it enjoyable. It's huh. nice. You just, yeah, listen to podcasts or music and just it's fun for me anyway. I don't mm-hmm. know about you. What I, comes next for you, if I can ask you a question? Yeah. Okay. So what comes next for me? Um, there's, there's a couple of things. I, I um, would really love to eventually um, package up my uh, system of doing real estate sales and um, be able to um, offer this or franchise it around the country oh, uh, in different nice. market centers and offer to partner with other high-producing real estate agents that also have a huge passion for real estate investing mm-hmm. and, and show and share the models of uh, starting a meetup and running mm. and your business all coming out of that. So that that's that's what I have in my mind for the future of the real estate sales business is being able to, because um, we, we've got a lot of our systems down nice. pretty well and um, our profitability compared to other real estate teams that franchise do the same thing, franchise around the country, only they don't have meetup groups. Mm. Um, they are very heavy, um, operate, their operating expenses are very heavy. Okay. Um, ours are pretty low. So I think we have a great niche there. And when you're dealing with an investor versus a regular home buyer or seller, the mindset's different. It's easier to deal with these people because they're, they, for the most part, they're thinking logically, mm-hmm. not emotionally when they make decisions. Mm-hmm. which is a, a huge th- thing that you don't, they don't make you work weekends. Mm. Um, you can stay within business hours for the most part. Um, and, there, and, and you can work with these people over and over again, multiple times in a year where your average, the average home buyer or seller, they're only going to do a transaction with you every five to seven years, if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and half the time they don't want to talk to you. Because <laughs> you're a salesperson. <laughs> Investors love talking to real estate agents. <laughs> yes. It's part of their job. They love when someone calls them back and actually talk or tells them about deals. <laughs> you know what you know what I mean? Right. It's just a totally different It's a totally mindset. different and you only you don't need thirteen thousand people in your database to run a multi million dollar hmm. um, sales team. You can you can have just a couple hundred. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't need you don't need a huge database to service and you also and you don't need to buy leads. There a lot of people uh. spend on average, forty to sixty bucks per retail lead, mm. and there's and ninety percent of the agents are fighting over these people. When thirty percent of the market is commercial, nobody's fighting over those people, and only five percent of the agents out there work in that market. So Smart. it's much more opportunity. Smart. I like it. Yeah. Anyway, it's a long. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's a good answer. I think. But I love doing this. Anything as well mm-hmm. um and helping training agents and i'm getting into house building now um we, we just bought a couple of lots up in dover idaho that okay. we're going to be building some spec homes on nice. um trying to phase out fix and flips unless i'm going to keep it as a rental mm-hmm. i think i i'm pretty sure i just did my last fix and flip <laughs> <laughs> i think all the effort just the timing it's just not worth it, you know, mm-hmm. doing a huge gut job and then just selling the house and never, and you just get paid once. <laughs> right. It's um, not a model I've ever been excited about either. I think yeah. um, flipping is the the sexiest model in real estate. It is. They and make it look great on HGTV. And <laughs> exactly. It's, it's exactly. just a headache. And I've, and I've done I it it's a dozen risky. times now, and it's, it mm-hmm. is very risky. Mm-hmm. Um, you're dealing with a lot of... Uh, potentially unreliable people when contractors and stuff aren't that it's a very messy it could be a very messy game and fortunately i haven't really lost money good doing these projects it's Mm -hmm. just i i've just noticed if you can afford to keep the rental Mm -hmm. keep keep it as a rental (laughs) that way you can get paid again and again and again over time on it and not just get the one payout (laughs) well it makes me think about how in real estate there's there's two types of income. There's the the quick cash, like yeah. um, like you, as an agent where you sell a house and you make a, a a fee, or flipping where you rehab and then sell it and you get paid once. And keeping food on the table is important, so those have a place as well. Wholesaling as well, where you 
put a house on contract and then sell the contract is another quick crack, quick cash yep. strategy. Um, but then to your point, then there's the, the longer term strategies like buying and holding, like, like setting a house up on a lease with an option to buy mm -hmm. or like apartments. Um, and, and it just depends on what kind of cash you need for wealth building. The long term is definitely more effective. Yes. Um, and, um, and for the risk factors, when you're buying something to hold it, the risk is much lower because you're not relying on the market cycles. Sorry, the, the lights turned off again. They was oh. <laughs> and you're really excited to be waving at somebody. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, one of the perks of being in a brand new office. All the light switches are on timers. <laughs> and they'll, they'll just go out on you. <laughs> Yeah. Well, now we can Sorry. see everybody again. Interrupted you. Um, yeah. But I think that um, knowing what strategy we want, and I don't know if your audience is a, it tends to be more um, seasoned investors or newer investors, but um, I think for me that was that was a concept that took some time to really sink in about understanding which strategy to be used for what type of money, um, and like for us, since Dave was working full time, we had our quick cash that kept food on the table. So yeah. I looked at, should I become a real estate agent? And um, and it, I just never went that route because we had our, our short-term money already in place. I know another investor who's been far more successful than I have, and he was a flight attendant. So he had benefits yeah. and he could work um, as few hours as he needed when he needed more time for deals, or he could work a few more hours if he needed a little more cash. Yeah. Um, but then he was able to focus generally more on long term, and um, yeah. I don't know if that's if that's relevant to. No, it is. I think totally. But. And and um, and what when I look at a deal and before I buy a house, I really want to make sure that I have two exit strategies at least, and I'm not just. Um, if I'm buying it for a flip, it's also got a pencil out to be a rental, mm. and just in case Smart. the market changes and it's or things change, um, and and if Very I'm looking at it as a rental, mm -hmm. I've got to have enough. Uh, equity built into the deal where if, if something happened, you couldn't refinance it or something like that, at least we can sell mm -hmm. it and still make a profit. Mm -hmm. um, so Very I think smart. you should really have at least two exit strategies before you buy any one deal because the market or circumstances could easily change mm -hmm. when you're when you're halfway in. Yeah. Smart. <laughs> yeah. So um, before we go, do you mind telling us a little? So it's been, um, let's see, seven or so seven to five years since a lot of the lease options you put together um is that, is that about right that we were right? putting them together in 12 13 and 14. how many would you say on average um percentage wise um actually went through and bought their house oh that's a great question nick um well i didn't i don't feel like i did enough volume to to run a lot of percentages so we we had um 14 houses um at our peak we've sold most of those now we're down to six now oh, okay. but um some of them well let me start by saying this there's a lot of different ways to set up lease options um there's there's i've talked to investors who have intentionally structured their lease options in the hopes that people would fail so that they could then move them out and collect another option payment yep and for me i that just doesn't sit well with me um Right. Don't let me get distracted. But I, I was hoping that there would be a chance to, to share this because there's two pieces. We of can it. get distracted here. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> so um, um, John Burley says, if you don't run your business as a business, you won't be in business. So don't turn your business into a charity. I completely yeah. agree wholeheartedly. We have to run our business as a business. But the other piece of advice that I think sounds um, similar but isn't in my mind is it's just business. And... Um, the person who told me that they set up their lease options so people fail so they can collect more, that's what they said after that. It's just business. Um, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, but I have come to believe that that is an excuse to treat people as if they're not people because you're in a setting that's a business setting. Yeah. And um, the longer I do this, the more I've come to believe that people are people regardless and that really it makes business sense to treat people ethically. Yeah. Because it's a small world. It helps. <laughs> <laughs> Things get around. <laughs> but um, what were you we talking about? I told you not to get me sidetracked. Okay, so no, it's okay. Side, side shoot. 
you can treat people ethically in this business and still make a profit. Absolutely. <laughs> and I have seen it make so much more sense to to work with people. For instance, um, one of the programs that we learned from John Burley is he calls it cash for keys. Yeah. So instead of evicting somebody, you've probably heard of it. It's pretty common, I think. Yeah, but most of these people maybe haven't. So feel okay. free to So cash for keys. We've used this quite a bit. Um, if somebody for some reason needs to move out, um, instead of evicting them, if we can, we offer them cash for their keys. What we tell them is, look, if you get evicted, right now it's harder to, to get a rental with an eviction on your record than it is if you're a, a felon, if, you're, yeah. if you're, you have a criminal record. And so we don't want that for you. We don't want to have to evict you. How about you give us a clean house and your keys? We will shake hands. We'll give you $200 and go separate ways. Yeah. And most people, if they're in a situation where they can't make their rent, they don't have the money to get a moving truck and get out of your house. So sometimes you can have a situation where they're sitting in your house because they don't they don't have a way to move. So if I evict somebody, it's going to take me about a month. I'm going to have, um, what, $800 in attorney fees. At least, right? At least. Um, yeah. and, and generally, they're going to be pretty mad at me, and mm -hmm. they're probably going to leave me a big mess, and they might make an even bigger mess just because they're mad at me. If I can do cash for keys, they're going to at least give me a sweep clean house and I'm out 200 bucks and they're gone in maybe two weeks. Yeah. Um, so it's better for them. It's better for me. It's one of those examples, I think, that shows that doing something that is a little, a little kinder to the person on the other end makes business sense. And I could tell lots of stories that I think yeah. have that same principle where we've done something that was a little bit gracious for, especially for our residents. And it has paid us all. It has paid back in spades um, from a business standpoint. Yeah. Um, you asked how many lease options have cashed out. So, so to start, I wanted to say that we we would do everything we could to set up our lease options to for success. And I would say so too. Yeah, because you would you do credit checks still, right? Mm -hmm. These people, right? And they would have enough money down. To where mm -hmm. they can just get an FHA loan. If, as long as they can get the loan, they can get the house because they've already made the down payment, right? For right. the most part. I mean, there's still closing costs involved. but So for most people, the barriers to becoming a homeowner is credit and money. Um, mm -hmm. Having enough money for the down payment, the closing costs, and having a good enough credit to qualify for the loan. And so when we would move people in, you know, also our um, our everything that we would put into place, it gets smarter as you go. Yeah. Um, but like we got to the point where we would have people meet with our mortgage broker when we were qualifying them to move in. Yeah. So we already knew exactly That's where smart. they were and how close they were and reasonably how much time it would take. Um, I would say one, one thing that we found that, that has kept a few people from being able to be successful is not making it long-term enough. Um, so it, even if based on where they are right now and based on the mortgage brokers look at it, it's reasonable that within say two years or a year, they'll be able to qualify. Even if that's the case, we've found that a lot of times they need more, like five or seven. Yeah. Um, the reason being that most people live paycheck to paycheck. And if someone loses their job or the car needs new tires at the wrong time, then they get a ding on their credit or they get set back a little bit. Um, and so they just end up needing more time than that. Um, so we have found that we've had some, a few where they did buy it on the lease option, but not as many as I would have thought. Okay. And so we've had some where if they moved out when the market was hot, we would clean it up and sell it. Yeah. Um, and then, and then others where, and we still, like, we have somebody who, um, this month looks like they're going to be buying their house and they've lived in it for six years and <laughs> we're really excited for them. Now, did you, six years ago, lock in a price? Yes. So um, they'd be locked, stupid not to close on it. <laughs> yeah, yes. But we even the price that we locked in, it was a projected price. Oh, so okay. it says in the paperwork. Like, I can remember. So you're assuming that some appreciation in these lease options. That's, right, that's good. Right. I'm glad you did that. And I can remember when we were setting those up, I thought, no way is it ever going to be worth this. I mean, a house in Hilliard that I bought for sixty-five grand, no, less than 60000 and we lease optioned it for over a hundred. I thought... This yeah, Hilliard house good. isn't going to be worth that one. Now it's worth one thirty. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, they do, and so but we locked in I think one ten on that one. Okay, so, so they're still getting a good deal. It's going to appraise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. So, so you got six left. You're going to keep them. Left. Well, um, 
Uh, we're going to let them cash out naturally, I think. Uh, we're, if someone moves out right now, we'll sell them. Are they all on lease options? No. No? Two okay. of them are not. Two are not. Four of them are. Okay. So, um, so some of them, I mean, we don't have the right to sell it right now, which yeah. is fine, other than to the person living in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay because that's what we set up. And we set it up on terms that we are perfectly happy with. So if it cashes out and they've got equity and we've got money, yeah, that's great. And if they move out, then we'll reprice it. And you know. Okay, cool. <laughs> so you <laughs> got options. Fun. <laughs> we do. It's been fun. Great. Um, so what's next for you? Oh, well, um, I would, my, my last long-term goal in real estate is to buy an apartment complex. I've always wanted to do that. I think yeah. when I started, that was, that was my ambition. And then we kind of throttled back and got into houses. Um, I'm glad we did. I think it was necessary uh, for two reasons. The first one is you learn your mistakes on smaller ones and you still make money on your mistakes, but the mistakes are yeah. not, not as significant on a house as they are in a hundred unit apartment. Um, and then the other reason is I needed some wins. I needed something a little faster. So you can buy a house and you can close on a house in 30 days. Yeah. Uh, an apartment can take years to get set up. And I didn't have that kind of patience starting right. out. Um, so for us now, it's like a hopefully between 22 and 24. But if it's 10 years from now, that's fine with me. And we're okay. we're we're pecking away at it. Uh, Nick is doing research. We've picked out a couple markets we're interested in, and, and we're we're pecking away at it. Right. And for me, um, I have, I've learned that I have a passion for affordable housing. Um, it just meets a basic human need. Um, and I believe in real estate as far as profitability. <laughs> and so it combines the two. Um, I want it to be an apartment that is the last place people rent. And then right. that they buy from there. <laughs> not that you can make that decision for them, but because you know, they bring will in never more. rent again after they rent your apartment. Make it a launching pad for home. Go get a lease option. <laughs> right. <laughs> set up incentives. Bring in mortgage brokers to teach them stuff and yeah. set up incentives like if you break oh, your okay. lease but you nice. show me your closing documents on your house, then I won't charge you the penalty for breaking your lease. Do things like that to, nice to incentivize yeah. people to, to own a home. And, um, and then from there, I want to be a public speaker, an international inspirational speaker one day. You're on your way. <laughs> oh, thank you. Awesome. I, I think um, this has been a great education, bu- building a business and learning the tenacity and yeah. learning the patience and learning the working with people from different walks of life than what we're in. And uh, on both ends, on the investor side and on the the resident side, uh, so it's been a fun journey. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming out here. I appreciate it. someday we got to have you back as a guest speaker talking about lease options again. That'd be awesome if you could. You don't have Thank to, you. but if you would. <laughs> thanks. It's been a pleasure, Nick. Yeah. Thanks for being here. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Shed Podcast. Please like the video and subscribe to the channel for instant access to all future episodes. If you or someone you know has investing experience or stories to share, reach out to us in the comments or via email.